Would you pray with me? Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I haven't done a wedding since I've been at Trinity. I don't know what it is, but I'm in a slump right now. The first wedding I will do is in October. There was a time in ministry where people actually got married. They called on preachers to do it. And I can remember at one church in New Orleans, we had four weddings on a Saturday morning. Boom, chicka, boom, chicka, boom, chicka, boom. And as I kept doing ministry in New Orleans, I found myself in a church where I did a lot of weddings. And early on, I did a lot of premarital counseling. And I've already told you about my 3.3, actually it's 2 point premarital counseling sessions. Point number one, don't do it. Point number two, if you must, elope. And the reason I do that is because the night of the wedding, they're all standing there, they're all shaking, they're all nervous, and I lean in and say, I told you to elope. And I've set up a joke that kind of relaxes them, so I do it quite on purpose. So I was doing premarital counseling with this couple in Kenner. He was 25. She was 33. And as I listened to them talk, I found out why he was so attracted to her. She was his mother. She was going to clean the house. She was going to do the laundry. She was going to cook for him. She was going to take care of him. And he was eating it up as I listened to them. And as she continued talking about what she was going to do for him, she said, if he likes it, I'm going to like it. I'm just going to love everything he does, and I'm going to do everything he does. If he wants to go deer hunting, I'm going to go deer hunting with him. If he wants to go fishing, I'm going to go fishing with him. If he wants to go fishing in the morning and deer hunting in the afternoon, I'm going to do that with him. I just want to spend every moment of my time. I just want to take care of him. And that 25-year-old over there is just eating all this up. He's just, ah, he's there. I said, what do you think about what she's just said? Oh, it's going to be great. I can't wait to be with her all the time. I said, do you have friends you want to hang out with? Do you want to shoot pool, drink beer, and do things like that? Yeah, I do. We've just heard her say she's going to do that with you too. Oh, I know. It'll be okay. Okay. We had a couple more sessions, and the whole thing kept playing out. And I've been around this long enough, I can say it. He was marrying his mama. Some, she's going to take care of him. So they got married, and I quite anticipated that in about six months, I would get a conversation or a call from a desperate man. Almost six t- months to the day of the wedding, he calls, and he is desperate. Preacher, I need to talk to you. I said, what's wrong? She's, she's, she's up my, yeah, all the time. And I don't know what to do. I said, come on in and talk to me. Let's, let's see if we can work this out. And they came in, and indeed, she's sitting there, and her body language is doing this. I mean, she is closed. She is not liking what he is telling her. She has his back almost physically to him. And I said, This is news to you, isn't it? She said, yes. 
I just want to be with him all the time. I want to hunt with him. I want to fish with him. I want to, I want to, I want to go to the bars with him and throw darts and drink beer and do all the stuff he does. I just want to take care of him. He hasn't communicated his feelings to you about all this. She said, well, all he ever does when I say I'm going to do something with him is grunt. First hint, guys, grunting is not communication. You might grunt, but it doesn't count. Please articulate. Marriage is like life. It is messy. Some marriages work out wonderfully. Some are have bumps in them. Some have great years and bad years and stupendous years. But God gave it to us as a gift. It's all the way back there in the second chapter of the book of Genesis. Therefore, man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. Marriage is given to us as a gift, and it is a harbinger of heaven. It shows us the love that God has for us. Indeed, it becomes an image for God and his people, and later for Jesus and his church. Some marriages work well. Some not so well. Atlantic Monthly did a survey among their readers and subscribers. They wanted to know in the reader and subscribers' opinions what was the worst marriage ever. You had it figured out? I'll give you a hint. Divorce beheaded died. Divorce beheaded survived. Henry VIII That's how historians remember the spouses, Henry VIII. The worst modern marriage. Now, the traditional service knew this. Some of you in here are not going to know this one. Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton, twice. They were 0 for 2. And the young people go, who? Who are they? Okay, younger couple, lousy marriage, Britney Spears and Jason Alexander married in Las Vegas and 55 hours later during the honeymoon, divorced. Y'all, that's just efficient. (laughs) On All Saints Sunday, we remember the names of those who have gone on and as the names were read... There were some of those people who had been married 40 and 50 years. There were people walking out of the service early this morning that said, I miss my wife. That particular guy had been married 67 years. The Bible gives us the image of marriage to teach us something. And Paul said these words in the, um, well, let me get back to Luke. The Sadducees want to trick Jesus. They don't believe in the resurrection. They just, they don't believe it. Pharisees do, Sadducees don't. 
And they come to Jesus with a question about what is called a Liberite marriage, where in Jewish oral tradition, if a man is married and the man does not produce a male child with the woman, the woman is legally allowed to marry the brother. So the brother can produce a male heir. Well, there were seven brothers, and this one woman kept marrying the brothers and kept killing them off. We don't know how. She may have been a bad cook. They could have had farming accidents. We don't know what happened. She went through seven brothers, and then she died. And the Sadducees, who did not believe in the resurrection, asked Jesus, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? And Jesus said, you're missing the point. Resurrection is a hope and a promise. Don't use some earthly thing to try to disprove resurrection. In the resurrection, men and women are neither given in marriage nor give themselves to marriage. They're not married. And in the 40 years I've been a United Methodist minister, this is the third time I have preached this text, time number three. Let me tell you what happened. The first time I preached this text, sweet lady went out of church. She's just in tears. I mean, she is weeping. She's in tears. And she said, (laughs) preacher, You just told me I'm not going to be married to Harold when I get to heaven. Ah. Second time I preached the sermon, a guy goes out of church and he is smiling from here to here. It is the biggest grin I've ever seen. He's going, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'll be free at last. So you are allowed within that spectrum of my experience to tell me where you land, except I don't want you to tell me where you land, okay? Just keep it to yourselves. You are not married when you get to heaven. Hmm. You know, the other thing I can see from up here are the subtle elbows that kind of go boop, boop. I just warn you, this sermon's got a lot of elbowing in it. So just hang on for a few minutes. Jesus is saying marriage symbolizes and reminds us of something else. And then Paul picks it up in Ephesians where he says, Be subject to one another out of reverence for for Christ. Wives, subject yourself to your husbands and to the Lord. And the guys are going, woohoo, finally. It's right here in Scripture. Except it's a middle verb and it's a reflexive verb. So it's really translated wives. Submit yourselves by your own choice to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ, just as Christ is the head of the body, the church. Then it goes on, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in order to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. And if you think I'm moving around, the reason is because the one time I've ever preached on this text, lightning hit the church and uh, scared the fool out of me. But I went on anyway. Paul is saying this marriage is a mystical union that shows us the union that exists between Christ and his church. And Paul goes and he quotes from Genesis. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. 
This is a great mystery, Paul says. It's a great mystery. A man and a woman go into a doctor's office, and the doctor is examining the man. And he sits him up on the table and listens to him breathe and listens to his heart and does the things where he hits the hammer and checks his reflexes, checks his eyes, ears, everything. He's reading the chart because he had ordered a bunch of tests previously. He's kind of reading and he, he's got this concerned look on his face and, and finally he just kind of puts the chart down and he looks at the husband and he says, sir, can you go out and sit in the waiting room? I, I need to talk to your wife for a minute. Guy kind of shrugs and says, I'm okay. And the doctor says, just let me talk to your wife and then we'll talk to you. So the man leaves. The wife said, oh my God, you're going to tell me bad news. And the doctor said, it's not good. He's really sick. I can't really treat some of the underlying stuff. And if radical changes aren't made, he doesn't have long. My wife said, what can I do? Is there anything I can do? And the doctor said, well, yeah. Yeah, there's some things you can do. Here, take notes. She pulls out her pad and she starts writing. The doctor says, first of all, keep him calm. When he comes home, don't upset him. Don't bother him with bad news about the house, bad news about the yard. Don't bother him with bad news about the kids. Just do not bother him with any bad news. Fix him three meals a day. Give him the food he likes. Not what's healthy, not what's going to make him feel better, but give him the food he likes. If he wants dessert, give him dessert. If he wants wine, give him wine. If he wants something stronger than that, give him something stronger than that. If he wants to sit at home at night and watch football, you sit there beside him, you watch football, don't bother him, don't bring any stress, bring him popcorn. Massage his back, massage his neck, massage his feet. You keep him happy. If he wants to go play golf, you say, honey, I'll pack your clubs, I'll get the car, let's go play golf. If he wants to go hunting, you go hunting with him. If he wants to shoot skeet, you throw the skeet every time he says pull. And give him more romance than you've given him in 35 years being married to him previously. Every time he wants romance, you give him romance. Morning, noon, and night, you give him romance. And the lady says, this is going to help? And the doctor said, yeah. If you do these things, if you do these things, he'll turn this corner. She walks out in the lobby where her husband's sitting there, and she sits down beside him, and she kind of pats him on the knee, and she takes a deep breath, and he said, man, you must have gotten really bad news. Honey, what did the doctor say? And she said, the doctor said, you're going to die. <laughs> Paul.
Paul said it's a mystery. It's a mystery lived out of a relationship that has boundaries, that creates capacity, that we need to be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ, and wives need to be subject to the husbands, and the husbands need to love the wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. When that kind of love is extant and present, take some of the mystery out of this thing called marriage. The Song of Solomon. Solomon is, it's a love poem to Solomon's beloved, and he's looking out the window just reveling in springtime. And Solomon says to his beloved, catch us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. I want to suggest to you that within the marriage relationship and in with the relationship in the church, there are three little foxes that will destroy a marriage and destroy a church all fairly efficiently. And these are simple things that we can do differently that change our relationship with each other and change our relationship within the church. The first little fox that we need to get rid of is insensitivity. Insensitivity, not paying attention to the other one's needs, wants, desires. Sensitivity. And under that category, late is a four-letter word. Late is a four-letter word. And the easiest way I know to illustrate it is there was a flight attendant for United Airlines, and she had a transcontinental flight. And when the flight was over, they landed in Paris, so she called back to the States to check on check on her her dog, her husband, and her mother in that order. She had a little poodle. She loved that poodle, just a furry little puppy that you get these little dogs, and there's not really a dog under there. They just have four legs, and they yap. This was a four-legged yapper, and the poodle was always in Mama's arms, and Mama just loved the poodle. And so when she landed in Paris, got to the phone, she called her husband and said, Hi, dear. How are you? I'm fine. How's the dog? And he said, the dog's dead. She said, what happened? Well, the dog got up on the house, didn't know how to get down, climbed to the peak of the roof and fell off. Took the dog to the vet. Vet tried to save the dog. Dog's dead. Woman said, that's horrible. How dare you tell that to me like that? You boob, don't be insensitive. When I called you from Atlanta, you should have said, baby, the dog is up on the roof. And when I called you from New York, you said, should have said, honey, the dog fell off the roof. And when I called you from London, you should have said, honey, the dog fell off the roof. He's at the vet. It, it doesn't look good. And then when I got to Paris, you could have told me the dog's dead and I've been ready for the news. Don't do things like that. Just just know that I have feelings one step at a time. You got it? He said, yes, ma'am. She said, how's my mother? He said, she's up on the roof. <laughs> we need to be sensitive to each other's emotions. We need to be sensitive to each other's trip we need to be sensitive that sometimes we can set each other off. And it happens in a marriage, and it happens in a church. 
Sometimes you can spark a Methodist church debate. Just you can mention a word and you can have a 15-minute debate. Somebody used a word. Second little fox, preoccupation. We get preoccupied with our stuff. I had a friend named Dan. Dan loved to take pictures. He would go to the most incredible places on vacation. He would take his wife and his two kids and his cameras. And this was back in the day when you had to go take your film and have it developed. These weren't digital. These were slides. Dan would take a vacation, and he wouldn't know about his vacation until he was showing the slides because he's so busy getting the perfect picture of the perfect sunrise or the perfect sunset or the light shining on a hibiscus just so perfectly. He spent three weeks in Hawaii and didn't see a thing. And even when you were watching the slides with Dan, he would show you a picture of the sunrise over Haleakala, and he would tell you not about how it felt, not about uh, what you could uh, see, smell, feel. He would tell you about the camera lens and the aperture settings and the film he was using to get this perfect shot. Couples get preoccupied with things. And rather than having a conversation over their preoccupation, they just become preoccupied. And the Methodist church right now, to the detriment of the cause of Jesus Christ, has gotten itself preoccupied. And all we seem to talk about is our preoccupation. Third little fox is criticism. Criticism. Man was mar- a woman was married to a very, not a very nice man. He was kind of gruff. He definitely wanted things his way. Didn't care much about his wife's feelings. So she talked to him through the house and said, Honey, I'm about to cook breakfast. What do you want? He said, I want one fried egg and I want one scrambled egg. Yes, dear. Fried egg and scrambled egg. Is it okay if I have biscuits and bacon too? Yeah, I don't care. Just fry an egg and scramble an egg. Yes, yes, dear. How do you want your your egg fried? Over medium. She fries an egg, she scrambles an egg, she has biscuits and bacon. He comes to the table and sits down and looks at his plate and said, You scrambled the wrong egg. If you don't think that goes on, I invite you to the church offices just to walk around with us 
and listen. Solomon said, let's get the foxes, the little foxes, let's get them out of the vineyard because they're destroying the vineyard. Christ would probably echo that and say, amen, let's get them out of the church too because they're harming the body of Christ. So in your life and in church life, we need to get rid of the fox of insensitivity and preoccupation and criticism so that we can thrive and grow and in church life serve Christ faithfully. Marriage gives us a picture of God's love. It's not a perfect picture because marriage involves frail and human beings who are great who are who are capable of great achievement and horrible mistakes. Communion gives us a picture of a meal the saints are sharing. A meal in a place called heaven. A place where our loved ones are not worried about heartache or sin or darkness or even death because they've been set free by all of that and they are in the presence of Jesus our Lord. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.